another pro football doc podcast it's off season but there's just so much to talk about we'll try and keep this podcast to the 40 minutes but uh we might it might get away from us as we have some fun here we're going to start with a special guest a good friend of mine i'll introduce him in a second in the second half of the podcast look I, i'm going to tell a never before told story about drew Brees and his real shoulder injury that almost derailed his career, not the one everyone knows about. Talk about feeling like I'm, I don't know, connecting with with athletes on Twitter, Odell Beckham in, in my discourse on his video. Uh, losing jobs due to injury, Dak Prescott, vaccines, um, even a drunk player in the huddle. And of course, what happened here, which is becoming a favorite uh, but let's bring on a special guest here from the Boston Globe. But, you know, Boston, one city can't contain him. He's everywhere. Uh, the great uh, columnist and writer, sports NFL guy, uh, Ben Volan. Ben, welcome to the Pro Football Doc Podcast. What's up, Dr. Chow? Thanks for having me. And sports NFL guy is my official title. That's what I have on my uh, business cards. It just says sports guy on it. Well, I mean... I don't want to throw you under the bus here, but I mean, little birdies tell me you're like a master's guy and you play Augusta and you're like multi-talented. I mean, no, no big deal. I did happen to play Augusta national. The one time I covered the event, they do a media round on the Monday afterwards and it the stars were aligned because they do a lottery and I got picked and I've only been there once and I got picked for the lottery we got to play Augusta the day after, uh, on the Monday after, with, we played with the Sunday pins, and uh, it was as incredible as you could imagine. And frankly, it took me six six holes just to get my knees to stop knocking. You're so nervous because you only get one opportunity to do it. But uh, two 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 questions. The obvious one: What did you shoot? Uh, the best. Uh, yeah, the best 96 I've ever shot. I broke 100 really yeah broke on had a had a, a stretch of three pars and four holes around um aim in corner <laughs> uh, close well, eight eight nine eleven i parred so uh, that was that was after i got the nerves under control but yeah the uh the tee wasn't that bad but the greens are like ice rinks i mean getting the ball to land on the green is just impossible. you played from the from the tips uh no we played they have they have two sets of tees there's the member tees and the master's tees and the master's tees are a good 1100 yards uh longer so um i definitely would not be reaching the green in two if i had to play for those guys the second question is and we'll get to football how many other reporters were mad at you that you were a first-time newbie and got the got the the pick i i got flack from a few people no question and uh uh you know the eyeball emoji like how did you pull that one off bowling um you know, it helps to, helps to have a stack full of 20s and you slip them to the right people and you just happen to win the lottery, you know, so. Let, let, me, let um, me tell you, uh, I think it takes more than 20s, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's chat a little bit. Obviously, uh, breaking news. Um, Jonu Smith with the Patriots. Surprised? Like it? Don't like it? I mean, surprise only in that the Patriots rarely come out swinging on the first day of free agency and give record contracts. But I haven't seen the, the, the particulars of the deal yet myself, but the reports are it's like 31 million fully guaranteed, which would be 
a record for a tight end more than George Kittle. Now, you, you know, you look at Jonu Smith's numbers, they don't exactly jump off the page. You know, last year he set a career high with 41 catches for 448 yards. Um, he did uh, catch eight touchdowns, but I think he's more than production. You know, he's a tremendous athlete. Uh, you look at some, like I just found a clip of him. He, he lined up as a running back and took a toss sweep 57 yards. There aren't too many uh, tight ends who have the athleticism to do that. And uh, over the last couple of years, he's number three among tight ends in yards after the catch per reception. So clearly he hasn't had as many, you know, at bats as the, the top tight ends, but he's a tremendous athlete. And I don't think the Patriots have had an athlete like this at tight end. I hate to use this name since Aaron Hernandez. I mean, the Patriots have just not had much athleticism at that position. They have a ton of cap space. They have a lot of holes. They had the worst tight end group in, in uh, the NFL last year. So surprised that they opened up their checkbook, but not surprised that this was the move they made. I think Gronk's going to come and get you. You just called him unathletic. Well, I, th I think even realistically, Gronk was never taking a, a toss right and going 57 yards. I mean, you know, and this is a guy, even he would admit it, you know, had some injuries over the years. But yeah. you know, early Gronk was pretty dominant. But I feel like Hernandez was always the better athlete of the two. And Jonu Smith is, is more in that mold. More surprised at Jonu Smith signing or Cam Newton re-signing? More surprised about the Jonu Smith just because breaking the bank usually isn't the Patriots' M.O., but uh, it just goes to show you where they are right now as a franchise. The days of them getting bargains and guys coming here to play with Tom Brady, I mean, those days are over with. The Patriots are going to have to overpay for free agents, you know, to get the top guys like Jonu Smith. Um, as for Cam Newton, all that says to me was that Jimmy Garoppolo is not available because, you know, you can't enter free agency with your – with uh, Jared Stidham as your only quarterback, you have to have a competent semblance of a quarterback plan. And, you know, Cam Newton, you can at least go into the season and say, okay, Cam Newton gives you some certainty at quarterback. I mean, I don't think, I don't think receivers are looking at Cam Newton and being like, Oh, that's the guy I have to play with, but he's at least a credible quarterback and you can win some games with Cam, assuming he's healthy. Um, and they only gave him three and a half million guaranteed and 1.5 million, his base salary, that's subject to offsets. So if they caught him and he signed somewhere else, they'll have even less. So it's like, it's no harm in, in this signing. And um, it's all incentives and it won't stop them from still trying to trade for Jimmy G and it won't prevent them from drafting a quarterback in the draft. So to me, bringing back Cam certainly makes a lot of sense. The other thing about the Jonas Smith that surprised me is didn't they draft, use two draft picks on on tight ends last year? I mean, three and four, I think. They did, uh, both in the third round. Devin Aziazi out okay. of uh, UCLA and Dalton Keene out of Virginia Tech. And I don't know if these guys are busts or just, you know, the Patriots offense is one of the more difficult ones to master. And, I mean, even Gronk. He scored 10 touchdowns as a rookie, but his other receiving numbers were, were down. It didn't take him until, until that second or third year until he really took off. So, I'm, you know, I don't know if the Patriots have completely lost faith in both their rookies last year, but clearly they needed a veteran to kind of anchor the room and give them better uh, production out of that tight end room. So, Crystal Ball, who's throwing passes to Joni Smith? Week one, I think it's Cam Newton. Um, I do think they're probably going to, you know, they are going to draft a quarterback. Um, I don't, I don't know if it'll be the first round. I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots 
target, you know, a quarterback in the second or third round. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, they found at the back of the second round. Less pressure for that guy, less of a financial commitment. And where they're picking at in the first round at 15, that's like, that's no man's land for a quarterback. If a quarterback gets to you, you know, half the teams have passed over him already. So what does that tell you? And I, you know, I don't know if they want to trade all the way up into the top five or whatever um, to go get a quarterback. So I'm a little skeptical that they will use a first round pick on a quarterback, but you know, one of those next tier guys in the second round, Kyle Trask, Kellen Mond, uh, the kid from Stanford, I've heard, I, I don't know his name off the top of my head, but there are, there are going to be some prospects in the middle rounds, but I, you know, week one, I think Cam Newton's probably the quarterback. No, I don't think that's a guarantee that he's going to be the quarterback all 16 weeks. Um, but I think he's a good bridge quarterback for now and allows you to take your time and develop whichever rookie you do draft. You know, it's not like Belichick's just going to hand the job to a rookie. So I, I think it's going to be Cam as the starter in week one. Gotcha. So um, big question is, is, is the Brady versus Belichick controversy dead now? Is it? over and done or is there more to the story you mean like who's more important brady or belichick yeah 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 yeah. well brady is definitely out to a commanding lead uh i don't buy the narrative that it's black or white that it's winner take all i mean belichick at minimum deserves just a little bit of credit for developing brady into this like ultimate winning machine and teaching him situational football and and you know just being you know a tremendous defensive mind really helping out Brady as a quarterback. So, you know, I don't buy that it's all Brady and Belichick had nothing to do with it, but it does make you reevaluate how the last 20 years went. And maybe, you know, maybe Belichick, you know, he's obviously a very good coach, but maybe a lot of coaches would, would be Bill Belichick if they were able to, to have a Tom Brady on their team. And I think to Johnny Smith signing today, you know, record guarantee for a tight end. I think that's, you know, they have Tom Brady to thank for that. Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay and winning the Super Bowl in his first year has just raised the stakes immeasurably for the Patriots. I mean, they've got to answer back here. They can't they can't take another 7-9 to nine season. Belichick, he hears it. He's never made the playoffs with a quarterback other than Tom Brady. Uh, every time he's had to, you know, they've fallen short. This year they went 7-9. to nine. So he hears the chatter like everyone else that he's never won without Tom Brady. So I think he's very motivated to prove that he can do it. And uh, they're going out now and making big signings and uh, they're going to, you know, use all their cap space and, and be aggressive here in free agency. And so I think Belichick, he's going to go down as one of the greats, but if the one hole in his resume is he's never won without Brady. And I think he definitely um, acknowledges that privately to himself and wants to do something about it. Well, and to be fair, uh, Bill Belichick and the Patriots went 11 and five with Matt Castle. Yeah, great. Didn't, didn't, so didn't, didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, they didn't make but the playoffs. They were 11 and 5. You no usually make the playoffs at 11 and 5. I mean, that's an aberration. They're right? the only one that's ever not made the playoffs at 11 and 5. Oh, there you go. There you go. Um, since, okay, uh, if, since Drew Brees just retired yesterday, and we'll talk about him in the second half, if Drew Brees was in New England and Tom Brady was in New Orleans. How many Super Bowls did they get each? I mean, that's a great question. Uh, I think Breeze would have won with Belichick, but not six. And I don't even know about three. And, you know, Breeze, to me, you always have to wonder how much was he aided by the Dome and and having so many games in good weather. How would Breeze have done? I mean, what made Brady so great is his toughness. 
And we saw it again this year, going into Lambeau Field and just completely unfazed. I mean, Brady in cold weather has been phenomenal. And, you know, he always played his best when the weather got the worst in New England. And I just don't know if Drew Brees would have been that way. All right, how about, how about same question, Rivers in New England, Tom Brady with the Chargers? Yeah, I mean, I think Brady would have – I think Brady wouldn't have won six with the Chargers just because that organization you – know, I'll, I'll – I'll, 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 you don't have to talk about this, but I, I think that organization is a little bit of a mess. So I don't think Brady would have won six there, but he would have won for sure. And Rivers, I don't think would have won six in New England because I don't think Rivers is Tom Brady. I think Rivers, you know, was a little sloppy with the football at times and, and threw a lot of interceptions. Um, Brady, you know, it, it's, it's discrediting Brady to say any quarterback would have come in there and won a lot. Sure. Rivers, you know, in a 20 year career, maybe he's winning three and Brady in San Diego is maybe winning three or four. Um, but I, I do believe that Brady and Belichick were just kind of the perfect match for each other and brought out the best in each other. Since this is an injury podcast in the end, in terms of the Brady-Belichick argument, what do you think? What was the effect? Because I think it's a little bit unfair to judge it in the short term this one year, especially when the Patriots had way more opt-outs than any other team with eight. And there were some key guys there. They lost a lot of guys. It wasn't just Tom Brady. And would this seven or nine and what have you, how much different would it be without all those COVID opt-outs? Yes and no. A, a lot of Patriots fans like to use the opt-out, you know, as a big excuse for last year. And they did have eight, but like five of those guys are borderline roster guys, you know, or backups. I mean, it, it was really three players. It was Dante Hightower, Patrick Chung, and Marcus Cannon. And those are significant players, especially Hightower and Chung. So I don't want to minimize, you know, uh, their impact on the team. And I think the Patriots definitely missed those guys. And the defense definitely took a step back last year. Um, but their woes were mostly due to uh, offense and having the worst passing game in the NFL and no receivers and no tight ends. And, you know, Cam Newton skipping passes and not seeing the field. And this was, I mean – all the Patriots doing. They hadn't drafted those positions in recent years. Belichick did nothing in free agency. They used last year to just kind of get the books in order, clear out all the dead cap money. You can tell they definitely did not kind of treat it as a real season. They, you know, um, kind of a rebuild kind of year. Let's, you know, clear out all the dead cap space and get ready for 2021 where they have, uh, you know, almost 70 million in cap space and they're striking now going out and get, getting Johnu Smith and probably other free agents as well. Um, so, you know, I don't think it would have been, you know, massively different last year had Hightower and Chung played just because they had nothing on offense and they, it's not like they tried and failed. They had, they just didn't try. They didn't spend any money last year. Now they're spending money. Now they're going to be putting the team back together. Um, and they still went seven and nine with arguably the worst roster in the NFL. So that's why I have hope for them. They had nothing on offense and they still won seven games. So I, I, I don't know if they're going to be Super Bowl contenders this year, but they'll be playoff contenders and, and they'll be back in the mix again. All right. Further medical stuff. What's up with Tom Brady's knee in his scope? You tell me, man. It's, uh, I was watching the video of him you know, throwing footballs on the beach and he sure is dragging that knee around. Look, I've, yeah, never, had, I've never had knee surgery yeah. I don't, I, I know the, a lot of reports are saying it was a cleanup. I was told it was a lot. Yeah. Are you, you playing the video now? Yeah. Yeah. Redeeming myself for the last time. Here we go. Playing the video. 
Obviously, the wrap on his left knee. Pretty stiff-legged gait there. Pretty stiff. Um, I, I'll tell you, I think the most surprising thing about that video is that I guess that's a club owner or something. Tom's usually more careful about his image, right? He, he, right? I mean, <laughs> I, was, I was a little surprised too that he allowed the video to be released because it shows he's not in great shape right now. Well, that too, but um, you know, I mean, are you talking about beach body or are you talking about his knee? Well, that, well, uh, as to where he is, I, I don't know, but that might be his private home in Costa Rica. So I don't know if he needs permission to, to film that stuff. <laughs> no, no, when you're Tom Brady, you got vacation homes in Costa Rica and Montana and you get to go wherever you want in the world. No, no, no question. No question. But no, the, the big thing with that is obviously you talked about this might be more than an e-scope. I think I opened up my eyes that when Bruce Arian said June, I mean, a four month recovery timeline. And uh, he's very stiff there. And uh, admittedly, it's only been a couple of weeks, right? Maybe since the surgery, but I mean, he doesn't bend that knee much, but at least he's putting weight on it. So at least it's not at least a micro fracture of the weight bearing surface and extension, but clearly there's a little more to it. That's, he's pretty stiff right there. Um, Why? Because if he had micro fracture surgery, he wouldn't be able to even throw the football right now? Well, he wouldn't, he'd be on crutches. Now, could he had a, have microfracture surgery of the back of his knee where inflection maybe, but you're not supposed to microfracture surgery to oversimplify is like uh, if grass is articular cartilage and the dirt underneath is bone, microfracture surgery is aerating the soil to allow some neighboring grass to grow in. And if you're allowing grass to grow in, you have to rope it off and not walk on it. And so that's the non-weight bearing portion. So maybe he's told to keep his knee straight because it was a flexion microfracture. Uh, but that's just an interesting timeline. It's clearly more than an e-scope. But the good news is if Tom's got to move around that's not his game. I mean, right. I mean, yeah, he's, he's a statue in the pocket anyway, but yeah, you know, like the reports came out right after the Super Bowl that Tom needs a, a little cleanup procedure. And I was told by someone who is fairly close with Brady, who spent time with him during Super Bowl weekend after the game, that this is more than a little cleanup. And that when it comes out, you know, the details of this, that it's going to only add to the legend of Tom Brady, that he was, you know, really dealing with something this year. And look, he's 43 years old and we all know he's not a spring chicken. So it's not too surprising, but um, it just, I don't know, another example of his toughness that this guy's playing with phantom injuries and, and a knee injury that's serious enough that it's going to keep him out till June. And here he is still winning Super Bowls. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, that's definitely, definitely winning Super Bowls, but you know, to be fair, that Tampa defense and the Chiefs offensive line, <laughs> I mean, look, uh, I'm not bashing Tom Brady. I mean, look, he's the goat, right? But uh, I, I don't, I haven't done the research, but, you know, I think, you know, Joe Flacco gets no credit for that Ravens win. And Tampa's defense did a pretty good job <laughs> against the Chiefs, but uh, a win's a win and his leadership was key. So that's, that's what it is. Uh, final little question here, football related. No combines. 
how's that going to affect things this year in your mind for the NFL? Clearly the medical part, as you know, is, is the most important. And I, I believe they're doing medical just at the pro days. They're, they're having nope. Here's they doing regional combines. That. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I wrote about it in outkick. Uh, what they're doing is normally at combines, as you know, is there's 330 guys and they say medical is the most important thing because that's the one thing that's unique, right? You can do workouts at pro days and, and quite honestly, the top picks don't work out at the combines, right? Only their pro days, but medical is unique there. And uh, so what they did is took all the top 330 guys and they assigned about 10 to each team. So the Browns got like 10 Ohio state guys and the Rams and chargers split up guys from who, wherever, right? Geographically as close as possible. 10 or 11 telemed visits with the team physicians, getting scans, telemedicine only, with reports to all teams and shared. And then for the recheck combines, which is normally in six weeks from the combines, there's usually about 40 or 50 guys that get called back for rechecks, coming off an ACL tear, some evolving injury or something. Those are all going in person, plus the top 100 players. So perhaps the first three rounds, people are projecting the first three rounds, day one and day two picks, will all go to a limited medical combine at the recheck. So it'll be about 150 people. But the difference is, it's probably just the head team position and the head athletic trainer. It isn't the whole complement of staff, et cetera, right. et cetera. A limited... Well, so so the NFL people I've talked to have all said, well, we're going to get the information anyway. You know, we're going to have everything we need. And I think to some extent, I think there's, there was a lot of overthinking in the, in the previous pre-draft process, the pre-COVID pre-draft process. It was like, well, we have three months, so we might as well come up with it. So like, I'm not too concerned about um, teams having less information, but I do wonder if the guys with questionable injury histories are going to, teams won't be as willing to take risks on them just because, okay, so they might be getting the chart from the Browns doctors who's viewing the Ohio state guys, but you're not, your own team doctors aren't getting your hands on the players and you're not personally checking them out. And as you know, Dave, there's lots of gray area in, mm -hmm. you know, medical evaluations. One team may pass a guy and another team may flunk a guy for the same injury. So I, I would imagine that players who have some sort of, you know, questionable injury history, it's going to be tough for, for teams to take a risk on them because they're not going to have that chance to have their own doctors check them out. I mean, does that sound reasonable? Yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting opportunities. And you're right. And what I try and explain to people is it's just like one GM says, this guy's the best player in the draft and another GM has him in the second round, right? I mean, it's there, you don't rate players all the same. And medically, there is some margin for differing opinions as well. And, and uh, we shared some information with other teams and traded but I kind of always looked at the why in our own grades and if you look historically at the Chargers draft there were some medical chances that we that we took that knock on wood have had paid off but that's kind of for uh for another time but uh yeah it'll be interesting um the uh the the differences in terms of what happens here but I will tell you this in terms of as you say the uh they're going to get the information anyways, right? They true, but then why is it that you have like a hundred scouts lined up at the fin line of the 40, all with stopwatches? I mean, you're going to get the official timed information anyways, right? But it's just sort of, 
the mentality. You got to see it for yourself and do it for yourself, right? I mean, I always got a click out of it, a kick out of that. All these people lined up, you know, you you get the numbers posted, you get the official numbers, and everyone's still there, right? So everyone, you know, wants to see for themselves, I guess. Uh, One thing I heard um, from Italian a talent evaluator recently that I thought was interesting was I asked him, uh, and this isn't quite injury related, but I asked him how useful was this college football season for grading the prospects? Cause I mean, what a weird season, right? And he said, it, it was actually pretty helpful. The season, um, you know, they, there was no real like training camp for the teams and they just jumped right into conference play. They didn't play the non-conference games. So the schemes were a lot more basic, he was saying. And it was really mm-hmm. just like a lot of one-on-one just my man versus your man and who's better. And he said, that's easier to scout. The, the, the schemes didn't develop throughout the season because the teams didn't have practice time. That it was, it was simplified on both sides of the ball and it was just one-on-one football, me versus you. And so I, I just, I thought that was an interesting way to, to look at the scouting process this year. Oh, that's, that's good. That's good stuff. All right. Um, let's take a quick break on the pro football doc podcast and we'll be back. You want to stay and join us and keep chatting or you got to run either way is fine with us. You know, uh, it's not like um, it's not like the Patriots are signing 20 different free agents right now. So let's stick around. Let's do it. All right. Sounds good. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back for some uh, cool stories. I think that you'll enjoy on uh, Drew Brees at L Beckham, other things, a uh, quick break and we'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. And uh, pro football doc podcast part two. We've had a nice chat with uh, Ben Volan of the Boston Globe. Uh, and all his worldly issues, golf expertise, ball expertise, whatever. But gonna, he's going to kind enough to stick around and kind of co-host the second, second part. So chime in. You like what I'm saying? Give me your take and or say, ciao, that, that you're, you're full of it there. What are you, what are you doing? What, what kind of show are you running here? I'll keep um, you honest, Doc, I promise. Keep me honest. The breaking news, of course, yesterday, and you know, Drew Brees symmetry. He signed with New Orleans on March 14th. Now we know what he was waiting for, and Drew Brees is retired. And uh, I've had some uh, good. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, Drew, Brittany. I mean, look, he was in San Diego, and uh, so today, I wrote a story at Outkick, and look, I feel like I'm getting really old, Ben, because I'm doing these all these stories like, you know, okay, Philip Rivers retirement story. And I sort of talked about the real Philip Rivers and aside people didn't know. I try and do stuff that isn't like on the field stuff because that's for you guys to do. That's not for me to do. And and coach, I talked about other side of Marty Ball because coach Schottenheimer passed away and now Drew's retiring. And so the article today that I wrote is sort of, I would call my little tribute to, uh, Drew Brees, and uh, let me get to it here. Um, so uh, this is it, the Drew Brees retirement. And uh, yes, that's not Looking my- good uh, there, Chow. That, uh, that, that's not my uh, younger, much younger brother. <laughs> that's just, I'm a lot older now and uh, et cetera. But uh, I'll bet, I, I guarantee you, everyone knows about his right shoulder injury. And this is the right shoulder dislocation that led to his exit from San Diego, right? But there's actually a lot more to the story here. And uh, Drew, to his credit, he texted me back this weekend and allowed me to to share it. And so 
this untold story. So I, I'll, I'll, you can go to this link and read the article if you, if you want to. But essentially, here's the story. It's revisionist history for people to say San Diego picked the wrong quarterback. Drew Brees was drafted in 2001. The Chargers had the very first pick in the draft. It was the Michael Vick year. We ended up trading the Falcons, Tim Dwight, some other picks. The Falcons were at five. Falcons took Michael Vick. We took LaDainian Tomlinson. Obviously, that kind of worked out, right? A Hall of Famer. But we still needed a quarterback. And uh, the quarterback that we chose was Drew Brees in 2001 in the first pick of the second round. And his rookie year, he really didn't play. Doug Flutie was the quarterback. His second year, he played, but he was just okay. I mean, 17 touchdowns, 16 interceptions, you know, QBR, I think you know, quarterback rating of, I don't know, in the 70s, less than 80. You know, he did okay. Um, the next year, um, probably arguably regressed a little bit, had more interceptions than touchdowns uh, the next year and um, quarterback rating lower lost his job at points of the season to Doug Flutie and the chargers once again had the first pick in the draft first pick of the draft. I'm a fly on the wall in the, what I call the kids table in the corner. <laughs> and, uh, we choose Eli Manning. And part of it was the Raiders picked second. And part of it was, now I knew in the room, we liked Philip Rivers over Manning, but part of the discussion was if we didn't pick Eli, we're giving him to the Raiders. They picked at number two that year. They ended up with, so we chose Eli, Robert Gallery went to the Raiders. And there was a audible, cheer and relief in the room when the Giants selected Philip Rivers. Because in the room, they knew that they didn't really want Philip Rivers. They knew that meant the deal. And they knew we wanted Philip Rivers. That meant the trade was going through. So that's actually why Eli went up on stage with the Charger jersey, right? Because that's, we selected him first. And then the trade happened. So Drew comes, is in his fourth year. Philip Rivers was drafted with essentially the first or fourth pick, however you want to call it, right? He's kind of anointed the guy because we weren't positive on Drew. Philip Rivers, through the advice of his agent, held out that year. He wasn't ready to start week one. Drew Brees started. First game did very well. Game two and game three, his combined quarterback rating was low 50s. He completed less than 50% of his passes those two games. Week four, there were calls to play the kid, the rookie. We were playing at home against the Tennessee Titans. Third down play early in the game, early second quarter, in the closed side of the end zone, he gets dumped on his shoulder, sacked. We turn, we punt. Drew comes over to the sideline, like, Drew, you all right? Because he got, got dumped on his left shoulder. He goes, I'm fine, I'm fine. And he's pissed. Basically, get the F away from me, Chow. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, one of those. So like, I give him space. A few seconds later, Doug Flutie taps me on the shoulder and goes, Drew hurt his shoulder. I'm like, hey, I thought so, but he's doesn't want me to look at him. So I talked to Drew and 
as I'm talking to him, we reach out up under his left shoulder pad. I could feel the elevation of his collarbone, uh, AC joint separation, separated shoulder. I said, Drew, let's, we got to do something on this. You can't do this because I'm fine. It's my non-throwing shoulder. Leave me alone, basically. And I said, okay, well, reach out with your left arm like you're going to hand off. He couldn't do it. I said, we're going to run one direction all day. I mean, you, you, you know, and, and I said, let's go get an injection and you'll stay in the game. He goes, I'm not coming out of the game. I'm not missing a play. He knew what it potentially would mean, right? I mean, would he ever get the reins back if, if River saw the light of day? And uh, I told my assistant, this is all true. Drew will corroborate this. I said, run, go inside, get this injection ready for everything and meet me in the tunnel. And I, the only way I got Drew to, to agree to this is that I had to promise him that he wasn't going to miss a play. And told the coaches, got informed consent, ran into the tunnel, told the security guards, no one comes in and out of the tunnel. My assistant, jersey still on, pulls his shoulder pad back. We inject his left AC joint, returns to the game. And by the way, you can look this up. It was a three and out. Our defense was too good. I was like, could you at least give him one first down and give me a little more time? But Drew led a uh, touchdown drive on the next play. He had three touchdown passes that game, quarterback rating of like 145. And we went on to a 12 and four season. And it was our first AFC West championship under my time there. We had always been terrible, right? All first pick in the draft, first pick in the draft. That was a turning point in the franchise. And Drew stayed in that game to win. And we finished, we started one and two, we finished 12 and four. Now, because of his, and, and basically he took injections the whole rest of the year, even though he probably didn't need it. He just said, let's, it's working, let's do that. And so of course the next year, his fifth year, Philip was on the sideline again for a second year because here he, he had a hundred, over a hundred quarterback rating that season. And we were 12 and four. So now Drew was now established as the guy the next year we went nine and seven. He dislocated his right shoulder. That's the picture we saw. And that's the change because we had Rivers waiting in the wing for two years already. So that's the shoulder injury that, look, Drew's a smart guy. He's a hard worker. And he knew, he's like, I'm not coming out of this game. And that to me, in some ways, was more pivotal than his right shoulder injury that ended up not going to Miami, going to New Orleans. But uh What's your, what's your take, uh, Doc, on that whole Miami-New Orleans situation? Um, we're, you know, in retrospect, what do you think of the Dolphins' decision to pass and to kind of flunk him on the medical? Well, one of the things I was always careful to do, Ben, and this is not um, speaking for the Dolphins' team position, I used always say that I'm just the team physician. Okay? If you... It's rare that someone can or can't play football that definitively. The question is how well, right? It's more an area of gray in terms of even health. Like, it, look, if you're at the combines, you're probably a pretty good football player. And to absolutely fail you means you can't play at all. I mean, that you won't step on the field. That's a long way to go. I think it's my approach was always more here's the relative grade and here's the risk, and you decide if you want to take the risk, because that's why you, the GM, you get the big dollars to make these decisions. I have failed very few people. Uh, I'll give you another example. A GM came to me once and said, I know this guy has bad knees, but I know him. 
don't make a big deal about his knees. Don't fail him on the physical. I want to sign him. I'm like, look, I'm not going to fail him on the physical. I may give him a bad grade, but that's your risk to take to sign. We'll work with anyone you want, right? So I probably would not have been dogmatic in failing a Breeze-like situation, but I don't know what happened in Miami. It may, maybe he didn't fail. It was more the relative risk that Miami. Right. I, I said fail. I, I think I was speaking loosely. I don't know if they failed. Right. And that, and to be fair, I think the Dolphins doc gets a lot of grief over that over time. Right. And I'm not sure that's completely fair. And let me tell you, um, I don't want to betray any confidences, but I guarantee you the Saints medical staff wasn't like, thumbs up, everything's perfect, there's no risk. I mean, there was risk in that. And um, if you remember, I think uh, uh, I think Jeff Duncan co communicated this to me this morning that when Breeze arrived, it wasn't like here he is and he's the superstar and the failure. The guy on the cover books was Reggie Bush still. Yeah. It was only a year or two later that Drew started to rise to prominence in New Orleans. Yeah, that was not a, I mean, it was a, it was a big signing at the time, but he was not Drew Brees back then. I mean, he, you know, no. he was a, a guy who had one good year under his belt and then was coming off this horrible shoulder injury. Uh, let me, let me ask you the other question though. So since he signed with the Saints and since coming back from that horrific shoulder injury, he played 15 seasons. Most of those seasons, he started 16 games how surprising or impressive is that? I mean, when, when he left Sandy, I mean, the Dolphins certainly didn't expect him to have 15 good years ahead of him. I mean, how, how surprising or impressive is it that Drew ended up having the career that he did? Well, very surprising and impressive. Look, it's very, it's very impressive without injury, right? Look, if you look at his five years in San Diego, there were some ups. He showed promise, but he wasn't his five seasons there, he wasn't dominant. Well, the one year, I'll give it to him, he was. So even without injury, you'd say his career trajectory changed. And this is on top of injury. So I have to give Drew a lot of credit that he beat lots of odds to become great and a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer. So no question. And, you know, that's why I always say, you know, arm strength, arm strength. Everyone knows Drew does not have the strongest arm. To me, it's the quickest mind not the strongest arm, right? And uh, he's proven that. He's he's gotten it done. So I really love what he's done. And, and, you know, look, the Saints and the Saints ownership and Sean Payton probably deserve some credit too, right? We talked about Brady Belichick, right? And in terms of all this, and it was a good fit indoors, this, that, the other, but Drew still had to do it. So yeah, I'm, I think even if you took away injuries, you'd say that's a different trajectory than you, than most would have thought. And so adding injury, no question, he, he did, he did a great, great, great job. So uh, no, no, no worries about that. And, and uh, glad that uh, he's had all the success. And it worked out for both sides. I mean, Philip had a great career as well. So, I mean, think about it. For two years there, we had Philip and Drew Brees on our roster. And Doug Flutie was the third. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of amazing that... Uh the guy that replaced Drew Brees and Brees both retired in the same year that uh, they both had very long careers, but, you know, Philip was brought in to replace Brees and they ended up retiring in the same season. No question. So obviously, uh, you know, uh, Drew's a little bit older, right? I mean, a couple of years uh, ahead, but, you know, I, I honestly think, and I talked about this some that Philip's got more football left in him. He just, he's such a family guy. 
I think that uh, he didn't he didn't tell me this. I just my impression chasing a ring. Maybe it's time to have Philip back on the podcast and we'll ask him this. But, you know, moving his family. I mean, look, as much as he was loyal to San Diego and, you know, took that van up and back to L.A., while he watched film. I think it's about his kids, you know, the nine kids in schools. And so when he moved them to Florida, Panhandle, uh, after the Chargers, well, he moved them all to Indianapolis. I mean, was he gonna like move them back to Florida, move them back to Indianapolis, I mean, you know what I mean? And, and to me, I've always said, and, and uh, go to that real Philip Rivers article, Philip's about football and family and faith, not NFL football and family and faith. He's going to get his fix on the sidelines in high school. I mean, it's about competition for him. It's not about the glory of the NFL. It's, it's, you know, whether it's a game of tiddlywinks, it's about competition. And uh, so I think he's going to get that. And I think he's making the decision of what's best for him and his family. He's probably got some more football in him, but. I can't wait until this fall, you know, ESPN or NFL Network's gonna, you know, have him mic'd up on the sideline of his high school game, and I want to, I want to, I want to experience Philip Rivers, the head coach. He is the greatest mic'd up athlete ever, and watching him coach high school football is gonna be a lot of fun. And and it's clean, I promise you. Daggum it, daggum it's it's all real and authentic. Uh, I told a story on the podcast once when I was talking to you. One time, I thought I heard him. Say, it was actually on my last podcast that he was on uh, that I thought he had uttered a four-letter word. And the four-letter word was S-H blank T. I mean, it wasn't even that bad, right? And he like wouldn't admit that. I was like, you, he got called out in the training room by, by teammates that he said that. And they knew that I, we had already talked about it before Philip was in there. So they knew what this witness was going to say. So they called me in as a witness. Ask Chow, he'll tell you the truth. He goes, yeah, Philip, I thought I heard you say. Three times that day, he texted me saying, Chow, you misheard me. You heard wrong. I mean, it matters to him. It just, he's, he's, he's crazy in the best and, and, and funnest of, of ways. Uh, all right, next up, you know, I've never met this guy. Well, I met him once at a Super Bowl party, but a lot of respect for Odell Beckham. Uh, I have to think he gets bad rap in the press or media, being a hothead and whatever. And um, he, uh, I played this video. People ask me, you know, videos all the time. And this video here of Odell Beckham running, people said, great it. You know, how's he doing this, that, the other. Uh, and I said, key is not acceleration but deceleration and cutting yeah he's doing great he's four months and um you know odell replied ten thousand percent key is cutting and decel um we're not there yet but he cuts off you know he's got many of these videos he did take offense well i don't know about offense but he did take exception to the fact that i had said the video looked sped up and he said he didn't speed it up and whatever. And I apologized. I said, look, uh, uh, when you take a cell phone video and you put it on Twitter, it's not exactly always exact speed. I'm not saying he's cheating. I'm just saying, and he wasn't limping. So he was doing very well. And we actually went back and forth a few times. And I have to have a lot of respect for a guy to take that much time. But 
it almost appeared like I came at him with a sped up comment and I wasn't meant to. And, and he was very gracious about it and very level headed. And I was very impressed with our little uh, Twitter exchange uh, going forward. And, uh, uh, and he admitted that, and I said, yeah, you probably don't, I'm sure you don't remember. And he goes, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I mean, but I gotta say, he's not the hothead that he's portrayed to be, I think. I think I got mad respect for him. All I know about Odell Beckham, you know, the last couple of years is uh, he's been very expensive and his contract has had no dead money for the Browns. And so they, it, it would have been very easy for them to trade him last year. And look, we'll, you know, we'll see if they end up keeping him this time, but their GM has said they, they, you know, intend to have Odell Beckham. And like I said, they've had every, every reason to trade him to someone else, you know, expensive guy with no dead money. That's just asking to be traded. And they've kept him. So it shows you they're, you know, they still believe in his potential and maybe he isn't such a bad team guy and he's bought into the, the Cleveland concept and everything, but um, he's, kind of like a, he's kind of a bonus piece for them because they, they made the playoffs pretty much without him next year. So you figure he's coming back. That's only going to help the Browns next season. Yeah, I thought he would have a great season. I actually drafted in my fantasy thing, knowing that Jarvis Landry was going to be slow coming back from his hip. And he obviously hit his stride the second half of the season. So having Landry and Beckham would be, would be a pretty huge. So the other thing that, that comes up this week, uh, you know, people always say you can't lose your job due to injury or you shouldn't. It's just not reality. It happens. I mean, look at Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz for the Chiefs. Both tackles, quote, lost their job. They're, they're cut and uh, not to fall to theirs. Obviously, it's COVID and cap space and what have you. But uh, I think that's just uh, an absolute fallacy. Another fallacy, another uh, thing that I think is interesting. Tell me what you think about this. So Dak Prescott, yeah, he had a second surgery. I've said all along, I think he's going to be fine by the start of the season. This is an interesting tidbit, I thought. So a guy coming off of injury gets $160 million for four years and guaranteed. You probably know this. How much did Jerry Jones pay for the team? Yeah, I, I read this. Uh, one forty. Jerry paid, yeah, 157, I thought I read. Oh, 157 or whatever. Yeah, whatever, but, I mean, those are fun little things to throw out there, but that doesn't uh, account for inflation, of course. No, of course, and and what it doesn't also account for, isn't Jerry on the t TV committee? I think he knows that there's right. more money coming, right? I right. mean, uh, kind of. Uh, are you surprised that uh, the, the, the Cowboys went all in on Dak given the injury that he's coming off of? No. Not the injuries. I mean, first of all, they get looks at it, you know, and certainly it's it's eyebrow raising that he had a second one, but that's not always the end of the world. And and I've said from the beginning that projects to to a fine recovery. When I've talked about, I can't say exactly the same, but Darren Sproles in his second year had a similar injury. Pretty quick, pretty good career, right? The rest of yeah. the time. So, so Dak in week one, you think? Excuse me? Dak in week one, you think? Yes. I'll even say book it. Oh, okay. Dak week one, book it. Okay. Um, even training camp, I think he's going to be ready. I mean, he's not ready right now, but I mean, he's going to be fine. Now, will he be 100% uh, or at 98? Okay. The, you know, we're splitting hairs here, but I mean, he's going to be there for sure, I believe. Um, the other thing we'll talk about here is vaccines. Uh, you know, you gotten your vaccine yet? No, I'm at the end of the line, man. I'm 39 years old. I don't have any like pre-existing conditions. 
So I'm just, and you know, I'm not going anywhere. Life's, it's not like I'm missing anything in life right now. So I'm just being patient. And I figure by May, maybe June, I'll get the vaccine. And then, you know, fingers crossed, can do a little family vacation this summer. Gotcha. Well, let me tell you this discussion that's been out there about potentially the league requiring or enforcing the uh, a vaccine, not no going to happen. No way. I mean, you cannot force someone to take a put anything in their body i mean yeah, no, you, no you cannot do it no chance and uh earlier this year on fox sports radio i was asked out of the blue the new york times i guess had an editorial said let's give it to some professional athletes and football players as good examples mm-hmm. right that that you should take the vaccine and i said horrible idea this was months ago number one um all the people who say you're jumping the line. These are healthy guys. I mean, they got to be at the end. Number two. So besides the bad optics there, look, I know that players were offered the flu vaccine, influenza vaccine every winter. And we had to convince guys to take it. I mean, I don't know that we ever got to a hundred percent. I mean, 80 or 90 was the most that we ever got. And that was some, come on, I'm doing it. You do it. Come on. It's okay. And that, that was for the influenza vaccine. And this is now for something that is, quote, sped up and nobody's as sure. I go, that thing's going to backfire. You're going to have a high profile person saying, I refuse to get it. And you're going to go the other way on your on your role model. And LeBron, God bless him. I mean, he has the right to say no, or he has the right to say he's not saying, right? But obviously the implication is LeBron may not be interested in the vaccine more power to them. I mean, whatever, but the, those, that's what would happen. So there's no way that they're going to enforce that. The good news, of course, is there was no cross the line of scrimmage transitness. So, but you know what that means though, is, is because they won't require, it probably means the NFL will have to continue most of their protocols for next year, masks, distancing, virtual meetings, because the virus is still going to be out there. You know, do you not agree with that? Well, you know, it all depends on this herd immunity concept and what's the right number and at what point in time, right? I mean, uh, uh, does everyone need to be uh, given the small packs vaccine to eradicate it from the world? Not necessarily. Will there be some social distancing that will continue? Yes. Will it be some testing that continues? Yes. Will it be the same? I don't know. We'll have to see how that works out. I mean, you know, if, look, there are some things that have changed forever, like, or at least for the foreseeable future, there's not going to be an off season program, right? Meetings Which will be more. We're all, we're all cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to say, if I were a team physician, I wouldn't have minded the uh, combines being canceled. I mean, oh, that's the best part, man. Get your steak and your shrimp cocktail for a week at Indy. Like, I love that, the combine. Oh, that is that is such hard work, man. Because we got to. That's burning the candle at both ends. The combine. Well, for you, yeah, you're working at the combine. I'm just eating steaks and you know, glad eating <laughs> and GMs while I'm there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, did you see John Kitten's comment? Oh, that someone was drunk in the huddle, huh? <laughs> I bet you that happens more than we think. It probably does. I mean, you know, it was interesting. He said it was someone, and he got 200 yards, so that leaves it as. 
Chad Johnson, Darnay Scott, or TJ Hoosmanzad. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't, I mean, it's interesting. I just thought it was a, it was a chuckle. So you, you, you think it happens more than you, than. I mean, I covered the Aaron Hernandez, you know, scenario and guy was smoking PCP during the season. I didn't think it was possible for a football player to function while, you know, being high on PCP, but Aaron Hernandez pulled it off and he was a pretty good player. So it's that, that to me was eye opening that a lot of these guys are taking stuff and, or, you know, who, you know, substance abuse, I think is probably not uncommon uh, amongst these, you know, type of alpha males. And so, yeah, I I think that uh, there's probably a lot of, I bet marijuana is very, very popular with guys. I mean, I know it is, but I bet you at times that you wouldn't expect it. So I well, just, I remember telling this story once to a, a friend who was on the team, no name. I said, I know what you guys do for the marijuana thing. He's like, what? This is early on. And I said, you stop in July, you get to training camp and you hope like heck you're the first position group selected to pee. Because then that night, you all got you guys all get together and smoke. And he looks at me and goes, "That night, it's pre-planned. As soon as we leave the piss test, we go to a predetermined guy's hotel room." And camp. <laughs> I'm like, "That morning, like, you know, it wastes no time. It wastes no time. Waste no time. It, it is what it is." All right. So one of the the final fun feature that we do here. As in season, Ben, I have something that I call the beast of the week, which, you know, by the way, Dak Prescott was the beast of the week when he got hurt. You go back and look at the video. I don't know that I can find it right off real quick right now, but he literally, his kneecap is pointing north and his toes are pointing due east, right? And he's on the ground. He picks up his leg and he slams it on the ground to try and straighten his foot. It straightens some, but then falls back out. And then he calls for help. So he was a beast of the week for me. So we we don't have injury video during the thing. So I leave it open for people to send me stuff. And the beast of the week this week or is, so instead I do something called what happened here. And so this is a video that somebody sent me through a barstool video of a race between this guy and this woman. And down she goes. And I, <laughs> And so what happened here? <laughs> well, and, and here's the thing, by the way, I'm sure this guy here tears his hammy at the end. He just, the, the camera cuts away and you don't see it because he's got, he's got a long way to go to decelerate there. I'm sure he pulls up lane two, but she goes shot like a cannon. So with this video, I mean, one angle, but look, eccentric load, acceleration, this is the classic Achilles rupture, right? A guy and uh, coming out of the blocks, uh, you look like you're sniper fire, we call it, right? I mean, you know, you're, you're doing fine, no contact, and uh, you tear your Achilles tendon there. So I hope she does well and uh, what have you, but fairly classic um, uh, mechanism there. Uh, so that's what happened uh, there. Ben, thanks for co-hosting there. I didn't, uh, it's fun, right? I didn't say anything too outlandish. You didn't have to- I'm hoping the same for me. I hope I didn't say anything that'll get me in trouble. <laughs> while, we're, while we're doing the podcast, Patriots with another big signing, uh, they're getting the Ravens, Matt Judon. Oh, 
Yeah. Uh, which uh, another uh, a big money, high impact signing. Who are these Patriots? What have they done with Bill Belichick? This is uh, uh, very, very out of character for them, but I think it's the Tom Brady effect. They got to, you know, seven and nine and scraping the, the bargain bin for free agents isn't going to cut it again this year. For them. Oh, interesting. All right. Breaking some news there, Ben. Thanks a lot. Uh, Pro football doc podcast at outkick. I, you know, Apple podcast, give us the nice and Ben, the nice fall five-star rating and follow Ben at Ben Volan. That's right. Or uh, read our stuff online at bostonglobe.com as well. All right. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Appreciate you.